0: This is KVRX 91.7 Austin, and you're listening to Dialectica, an examination of the civic, political, and economic issues that matter to us all on global, national, and local levels. Dialectica is brought to you by students of the LBJ School of Public Affairs and is produced in partnership with the LBJ Journal of Public Affairs. We hope you enjoy the show.
1: Good evening, everyone. It's time for Dialectica, your weekly policy radio show on KVRX ninety one point seven. The time is six thirty, and you've got your hosts tonight are Karen Banks and me, Meredith Gray, from the LBJ School of Public Affairs and the Community and Regional Planning Program within the School of Architecture. Tonight we're discussing sustainable food systems and sustainable agriculture, both in general and in Austin. Our guests are Joy Kasnovsky from the Sustainable Food Center and the Happy Kitchen. Karen has also worked for the Sustainable Food Center. And I just enjoy organic food in farmers markets. So we've got a half hour tonight and a couple of questions uh, for you, Joy. So let's go ahead and get started.
2: All right, thanks for having me.
1: Thank you for coming. Thanks for coming. Uh, Karen, would you like to
2: read Joy's bio as I well? Would. I'd like to share Thank a bit you. more information about Joy. Um, Please do. So Joy is originally from Austin. Joy's lived in Minnesota, California, Oregon, and Ecuador, working to promote land conservation and education within the National Park Service and various nonprofit organizations. Before joining Sustainable Food Center in 2007, Joy worked for two years in Bolivia as a Peace Corps volunteer directing a town-wide recycling program and teaching nutrition courses. Joy first became interested in the dynamics of food as an undergraduate student in the University of Texas Department of Geography. In her free time, Joy enjoys cooking fresh, delicious meals, catching up with the Austin music scene, and traveling off the beaten path. We're so glad that you've joined us today to talk about food.
3: Thank you for having me.
2: So to start, Joy, will you tell us a bit about what you do at Sustainable Food Center and your role?
3: Yeah, sure. Um, I'm the program director for uh, the Happy Kitchen La Cocina Alegre, which is one of the three programs of Sustainable Food Center. Um, Sustainable Food Center, the mission of Sustainable Food Center is to strengthen the um, local food system and to do that by increasing access to fresh local food. Um, We promote farmers markets. One of our projects is Austin Farmers Market. Um, We also have community and youth gardening programs and then our third program is the Happy Kitchen, La Cucina Legre.
2: Very cool. So through your work with Sustainable Food Center, um, how would you define a sustainable food system?
3: Yeah, um, it's interesting because sustainable is obviously the big buzzword right now. Um, I think everybody's trying, yeah, trying to attach that to everything. So it's inevitably ended up in front of food system. Um, For me, a sustainable food center is one that takes into account all the components of the food system um, and ensures that those components can actually be sustained um, into the future, but not at the cost at other things. So looking at our wildlands, different habitats, um, land conservation, land use, also wages of the people who are involved in the food system, producing the food, picking the food, processing the food, are paid uh, living and fair wages. The farmers who are are, um, contributing to the food system System, if they're also given correct subsidies, and I'll stop there at subsidies tonight, um, and then also kind of the culture behind that that food system.
2: And you've touched a little bit about um, on kind of what a food system is, and just so that people that aren't familiar with the the concept of a food system know. Um, and I, when we talk about food systems, we're talking about everything that goes into into food from planting a seed to harvesting the food from the field to getting it to market, cooking and then consuming and then what you do afterwards with the waste. So it really is it is a systematic approach to dealing with food.
3: Right. And it's interesting, you know, not to belittle what you just said about the food system, but that's probably the most efficient small food system there is. Mm -hmm. And but most of our food system, for those out there listening, um, is pretty different because it's 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 huge economies of scale. It's no longer just one farmer planting a seed, and that—that's kind of the simplified version. Um, you know, our food system is based on efficiency and and pretty much low cost. Um, you know, low prices, and then of course Sorry, at the when, cost.
1: When do you feel like it switched over from the smaller family farms to the bigger, the bigger industrial
3: farms? When did that shift occur? I would say. I mean, it's constantly occurring, but I would say like the big shift would have been probably after World War II with um, um, kind of the the big boom in, in technology and industrialization. The
2: Green Revolution
3: hit. And- oh, the <laughs> wonderful Green Revolution.
2: <laughs> you don't sound like you're a fan.
3: <laughs> you know, I, I have my qualms with it, yeah. Okay.
2: Um, so that gets us, that segues into the next question mm-hmm. very nicely, which is... Um, why do you, what are some of the challenges you, you think that the U.S. has towards um, achieving a sustainable food system?
3: Yeah. Supporting ourselves without relying on other countries for food. Right, right. Well, for one, the biggest challenge is the fact that our food system is not sustainable right now. So if we were to go in and change one component, that wouldn't be enough. We would really have to go in and overhaul the entire system. Um, and that would require a lot of research, a lot of collaboration, a lot of, um, development and, you know, just R&D when you're talking even in like in tech terms, research and development, collaborating with the government, um, different universities, be it land-grant universities or even tech universities where you could figure out, okay, you know, we have these emerging technologies and, and solar and wind um, and also like water catchment systems. How can we integrate that into into the food system? Um,
2: Which is a big issue in Central Texas right now is um, the lack of rain and the lack
3: of There water. was. There was actually a good article in this well in this week's Chronicle all about... Several local farms, like Boggy Creek and Tecalote. Right. Yeah. and there was one more I think Picture in there. And great. Green grade mm-hmm. People looking down an empty well. I think right from Boggy yeah, Creek. yeah, it's Carol, Ann. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, you know, and something else too that I want to touch on is as Americans, I'm not going to you know spout out a lot of numbers tonight, but we definitely do <laughs> um, spend much less on our food per capita than many of our, you know, peer countries, other countries that are in, save, in the same kind of economic status um, economies that we, that we have. Um, but it's also about changing our attitude and relationship with food. Food isn't just a commodity that we purchase for the lowest possible price. It, it has more value than, than that, and I'll touch on that probably in a little bit. Um, but if we spend a few more dollars on our food um, per week as a country as whole or or as it comes down to per capita. Um, And it's produced in a sustainable manner manner that promotes land stewardship. Um, And it's also the food is nutrient rich and people that are working within that system are paid a living wage. I think more people would be in favor of spending a few more dollars per week to have that. I feel like it's kind of unnaturally artificially cheap right now in the U.S. Oh, definitely. I mean, it's really, I mean, we are numero uno uh that was a really bad accent out there i do speak spanish i promise you um that was that was um we're really good at at efficiency and 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 creating things at low cost and economic cost but then you look at what are the opportunity costs what are the other costs that are associated with that
2: and those don't get factored in and they don't get seen very often either which is which is unfortunate yes yes So do you think that we should care where our food comes from? Do you think it's important to know where our food comes from?
3: I definitely, definitely do. Um, One thing, and I know, Karen, because you worked at Sustainable Food Center, so you've heard this adage a lot. But something we like to ask is, um, all right, well— you know you probably know the name of your doctor you know how many people know the name of their doctor or even if you don't have one doctor you probably know the name of a doctor that you've seen recently um but how many how many of you know the name of your farmer farmers yeah farmers, farmers exactly yeah. exactly and how many times you go to the doctor in a week versus how many times do you eat food in a week i'm guessing <laughs> you probably eat more than you go to the doctor. Let's hope so. Um, So not only is food medicine and sustenance, but it's also culture, it's social justice, and and it's the environment And most of our country, again, has morphed, um, or food has morphed into this commodity that's only seen as uh, food or only seen as fuel um, with really no consideration of of how it was produced, what labor went in, what resources went in to to produce that food. Um, And so, again, kind of on the attitude, um, we need to change our, our attitude towards, towards food. Um, and it's, and it's another, it's a safety issue as well. You know, I can, we can, the summer was pretty hilarious for the farmers market for the Austin farmers market because of the jalapeno scare. Um, right. well, it ended up being the, the jalapeno, too. but it, no, it started off as tomatoes and then everybody was afraid to eat tomatoes. And there was huge reek. I mean, essentially huge, including, you know, large, um, super, um, you know, grocery stores were throwing out tomatoes and then they finally found out it was jalapenos and it was coming from another country. There's that. There's also the melamine scare with China. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean. You know, um, and I'm not, and I'm not saying that that we should stop, you know, consuming, say, olives from from Italy that you might have, you know, as an hors d'oeuvre, or we're never going to have tea leaves from Sri Lanka or these types of things. Um, but I am saying that I think we could spend a lot more time and invest a lot more money into producing food. You know, do we really need to get a plum all the way from you know five thousand miles away? Yeah. yeah, exactly.
2: There's a lot that goes into it in terms of that, not just. In terms of the quality of the food you're getting, in terms of the nutri- nutrients that are in it, um, the longer it sits, the less vitamins, less nutrients it has, mm-hmm. the less it's nutritious for you. Um, it's it's a quality thing as well.
3: Exactly. So,
2: are
1: there stores here in Austin that would have like your food miles posted? Do any stores do that that you all know of?
3: You would you would know like where your oranges came from? I guess sometimes they'll say like what country or, or something. Like yeah, I think I don't think it actually says food miles, but I'm sure if you went in there with your blackberry and was like, oh, this came from you know New Zealand or this came from Chile or Sweet. this came from Italy, you could probably figure it out. Versus if you go you know again to a farmer's market, um, you can actually meet the farmer and wow, well, the farmer came from you know maybe 20 miles away, maybe. 200 miles away but
2: um, Wheatsville does food miles but it's only local food miles
3: okay so I was actually in there this past week and didn't see that
2: it's on but certain I think certain certain things food still, I don't okay know, like in the dairy a little tags yeah. It, like, yeah okay some yeah. pure like good go. right, right. <laughs> 7.3 miles away yeah. Yeah. yeah it's very close yeah um, Joy, you mentioned something about changing your attitude towards food. Can you mm-hmm. talk a little bit about um, what the Happy Kitchen does and how it helps to change attitudes towards food?
3: Yeah. Um, the Happy Kitchen, La Cocina Alegre program of Sustainable Food Center is its kind of, I almost see it as, in some ways as kind of one of the gateway programs to Sustainable Food Center and, and what we do at Sustainable Food Center. Um, we we aim to serve um, folks at risk for chronic um, diseases, diet-related diseases, so heart disease, cholesterol, diabetes. We even have classes now for, for breast cancer survivors, which wasn't even, it's not necessarily considered a diet-related disease, but when you look at what is recommended um, for, for having the healthiest diet, really it, it spans across the board, whatever um, disease you may be battling or, or not be battling. Um, so we aim to, to teach folks um, how to cook healthier, and especially by using fresh seasonal, local produce. So it's really getting back to the basics. Um, a lot of people, when you think about, when, again, when you think about food, you think about grocery stores, you think about items that are packaged nicely in a can, in a wrapper, and you put into your grocery cart. And we really emphasize in the cooking classes, stay on the perimeters of the grocery stores, go to your farmer's market or, or grow your own food and really focus on that, on that fresh, um, those fresh things, be them um, um, fruits or vegetables or certain kinds of meats or dairy. Um, keep it simple. And then and simply cooking again, I mean, that's part of the attitude is because we live in this fast-paced society. Again, we eat on the run. We don't, we no longer cook. That's interesting. I was at the American Public Health Association Conference back in uh, the end of October. And um, one uh, a particular scientific study they were talking about, they were talking about the differences between different cultures. And um, kind of the a lot of the Latina moms now, who are you know young moms were never invited into the kitchen as as children because their moms were trying to get ahead. They were working several jobs. You know they were trying to be you know quote unquote American. And the the mother, or their daughters were never invited into the kitchen even to learn how to cook. So now they have families of their own and they don't even really know what to do if you were to give them a whole bag of fresh food. What what would they do with that? Um, what do do with or even which things to get? <laughs> which things to get yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So anyways, it's it's a great program program um, to teach people how to cook and to get enthusiastic about cooking healthy and making and making um, eating and, and cooking fun um, and it's kind of the first step to introducing food as as something more than again just just a commodity just fuel that you put into your mouth and do you all have regular
1: classes like is there a, s- a series you can start seeing if somebody was interested in
3: um, we do have classes? our next one we're ending one actually this week and then our next one won't begin until the end of January we kind of take a little break for the the holiday season, but we generally do um, between January and June. We'll have about seven different cooking classes, both offered oh, in, in English and Spanish. What
1: about for younger younger kids and for teenagers? Do you have cooking classes for them as well?
3: We don't, unfortunately. And our main the rain, main reason for that is we really wanted to focus on on young families, with the hope that by being able to teach the folks, the parents who actually shop for the groceries, um, that they could they could influence their children that way.
2: That's a really great approach. Yeah. Yeah. That's a Sustainable Food Center does have an initiative that is working with young kids in some
3: capacity. We do. It's um, called the Sprouting Healthy Kids program, and currently we're in four different um, middle schools in Austin. Oh, great. And we have school gardens where um, the kids actually learn how to plant um, food. They harvest the food. They also learn about food systems, about also eating healthy, um, and it's again, it's it's back to kind of the basics. Um, educating children about about food and also being um, getting them excited about food. And it's amazing when kids do plant their own vegetables how excited they do get to eat um, that vegetable. Um, and, and just, you know, they're proud of it. I just put in my first garden this past fall, and I mean, I am just so excited. I go out there in the morning and I'll water and just kind of watch it, expecting it to grow in front of my eyes. But it it really is pretty powerful that, you know, like tonight before I came, I had, um, I went out to my garden and I picked some, some um, lettuce and arugula and Swiss chard and was able to sit down and eat my meal. And that's probably some of the most nutritious food you're going to get because the closer you eat the food to harvest, the more, the most, uh, the more nutrient dense it is.
1: you know exactly what went into it too. You know, there's no chemicals. Right. Which is really nice.
3: Yes. Yes.
2: It tastes better too.
3: Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
1: You can eat it straight from the garden.
3: It is, and you know it's yeah. fun too because my neighbors walk by and oh, what, oh, what is that? What is that? You know, and I'm waiting for it, you know, to get a little bit bigger. But I'll definitely be sharing it with the neighbors like as tomatoes. well.
2: Tomatoes are going to share. Yeah. Yeah. People are always going to go eat tomatoes. Yeah. Except you don't want to share them with the birds.
3: <laughs> that is true. <laughs>
2: Oh, I have a, a quick question. Yeah. Why do you think
1: that we as Americans feel justified to have strawberries in January? When when did that, you know, cultural or that mindset come about that we should be able to have, you know, any kind of food whenever we want it?
3: Well, it kind of goes back to the industrialization of, of the food system, which, again, I, I think we discussed earlier kind of started shortly after the war um and kind of the idea that we could have have our cake and eat it too i guess um that we could create these these systems and either produce massive greenhouses to produce these um strawberries and or import them from from elsewhere we no longer really live on on the seasons and i'm trying to do that the most the most i can and it's actually really exciting because you go from season to season and you get excited about different foods um as we did in the past and it also it tastes better because it's fresh Probably coming from somewhere mm-hmm. more local, um, and it's again, it's in season.
1: On that topic, can you can you speak a little about um, the the CSAs in
3: Austin, the community supported agriculture programs? Yeah, those um, are going gangbusters from what i'm i'm not i'm not um one uh, member this year but from almost every csa i know of and there are a ton i won't even begin to mention them you can find them if you go to austinfarmersmarket.org you can find a list of them there as well as if you go to Mm localharvest.org you can find csa's there and those are wonderful because essentially what you do depending different farmers run it differently but essentially you give them at the beginning or before season you'll give them money and that's kind of the investment for the farmer to go out and Plant the crop for seed money. Exa- exactly, <laughs> literally, and they go out. They plant the crop, and it's you know anywhere from probably uh, oh nine to sixteen weeks, depending on what farmer it is. And you get and you get a share of, of vegetables and fruits and herbs and whatever they have that that week. And most of them are actually conveniently um, um, set up where they'll have a drop-off location, or they drop it off at your house or central location. And it's and many times it's it's cheaper um, than buying everything individually. Say if you were going to buy it um, locally from a, from a farmer's market, and also you create that that um, relationship with the farmer.
2: And oftentimes they'll invite you out to go out to the farm and mm-hmm. uh, to work or to, yeah. to spend the day in the afternoon, so you get to know, um, you really get to know where your food is coming from at that point, and um, you know that you put in some energy into it as well. Yeah,
3: and then, you know, we haven't even talked about it, but just kind of with the economic downturn um -hmm. the fact that you're supporting something local not just food but also you're supporting a family and you're you're supporting a local a local economy so by keeping your food dollars actually in the central texas area you really are promoting so many more things you're you're promoting that family's um stability local economy also probably land stewardship so that's really that's really
1: great so do you think um we are in a war right now. Do you think we should be, where where are victory gardens? Why is that not as popular as it was back in, you know,
3: you know I think war it's too. starting, I think it's starting, it's coming, it's coming back, actually, the natural gardener this past weekend had a free organic gardening class and I can't remember what it was called, but I think it was something akin to victory gardens or something oh, to that no, nature. Right. And even, you know, it's when, I, good when good. I talk <laughs> publicly about my garden, people are saying, hey, well, if the economy gets worse, I'm going to be doing that too. Um, so I think it's, again, it doesn't necessarily just have to be I mean, the economy helps that. Well, it helps that the economy is is slowing, so people are looking for alternative ways to feed themselves. But also, again, going back to changing our mindset and our attitude towards food and feeding ourselves. Yeah, for food
1: security reasons, mm-hmm. just to have our own our own gardens would be very useful. Right, I had, right. I had a professor. Um, I think it was uh, Dick Richardson here at UT who mm-hmm. said that if you were to close down three ports in the U.S., our whole food system would would you know <laughs> we'd have to be living off of cans or something like that. Yeah.
2: Austin saw a, a boom in interest in community gardening in the last year and, and prior year to that. Um, as our city grew and, and land became scarce, people started looking for other ways to, to grow their own food, and living in condominiums, living in apartments. They need an outlet. And so I think that, in and of itself, um, brings back the whole Victory Garden notion as well. They want to have that space, that communal area where they're, they're growing food and, and bonding with one another.
1: On that note, I'd really like to see more front yard gardens in Austin. Sometimes you see them. Hey, I really, come by my I house. I know you mentioned that your neighbors could see you, and I was like, that's great. It's, yeah. just a re- it's a really good way to kind of promote the idea of just gardening in your neighborhood. It is. You know, when you realize that so many other people are doing it too, I think there's, you know, you're just much
3: more encouraged to keep going with it. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, my backyard, I was kind of forced to, my backyard's quite (laughs) shady and my front yard's where the sun is, but it actually is great because I've, you know, interspersed flowers within it. So, and then you've got the different colors and especially, you know, like the shard, and it just looks really beautiful.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Vegetables can be beautiful. (laughs) Do you have any fear that someone's going to walk off with your food?
3: You know, it's funny because (laughs) I was talking about that with some of my friends and coworkers early on and you know, I haven't figu- I don't know if all of my neighbors have figured out that I'm quite growing food. I think they figured out that there's some weird looking plants in my front yard, but I'm not sure if they've they've cottoned on. Right. Yeah. I think it would be different if it was something like apples or or um, or tomatoes. Maybe that was more a little bit more visually tangible or, or like herbs can sometimes be. Mm-hmm. Like, what is that? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Or like so. Or yeah. So I haven't I haven't had any problems yet. So I'll I'll let you know if I do. Okay. Yeah,
2: and what's your um, what's your most favorite thing that you're growing right now? Uh, beets. Yeah. I love beets. <laughs> do, you, do you do
1: canning as well?
3: You know, um, I th- th- I want to try to do it more. Um, I freeze a lot of stuff. I guess like I just made a huge um, pesto. I harvested a bunch of basil, okay. and before That's before nice. you know before the the freeze gets it, I just sure. process that and, and freeze it. Um, and put that in the, the already-made pesto, and a really great. I mean, fat talk about fast food. I mean, that's pretty quick, and it's, and it's really cheap, and it's super nutritious.
2: Ice trays work really well for putting pesto away. Yes. Little ice cubes. Mm-hmm. Just, pesto cubes. cubes. Yes, <laughs> definitely.
3: Great. Definitely. Uh,
2: so what um, for those that don't know, what's in season right now, aside from beets? Right, <laughs> and beets are just coming into season,
3: I will say. I mean, my beets are, are quite small. Um, they're, not, they're definitely not ready. They're, they're a while away. Um, in season, I mean, fall and winter is the time for greens, so any type of lettuce, arugula, spinach, um, chard, um, mustard greens, kale... I mean, the list goes, I mean, greens that I haven't even heard about, going on and on and on. Then you've got your broccoli, your cauliflower, more of your cruciferous vegetables. Um, Let's see, leeks, um, certain types of potatoes. I'm trying to think what else I've seen at the farmer's market as well. that's great. That's a good list. Radishes, carrots. carrots. I mean, pretty much, and what's so great about living in Central Texas is we almost don't, we can produce food year-round. We have kind of this Mm -hmm. um, maybe underplenished season around like September, August, because that's kind of like our quote-unquote winter here in Central Texas when it's really just... Just the heat. Center, um, right, too. Exactly. Exactly. But beyond that, I mean we can we can be producing food all year long. So as soon as, you know, once winter's over, then you can start with your spring and, and summer garden and plant different crops.
1: So somebody wanted to plant start a garden this weekend. Mm-hmm. Can they actually plant something now and have it have it be fine without you know a frost coming? Oh yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah.
2: In fact, we're past our average frost date for the year. We're supposed to get our first frost in uh, November fifteenth. It's
3: been unusually warm. Mm-hmm. It has been. It has been. And that's again, that's what's great about Central Texas. Is you can pretty much plant something year round, and something will come up out of it,
1: mm-hmm. even if something else
2: doesn't work. Yeah, yes. <laughs> yeah, something good will come. The wintertime is when you plant all your fruit trees, so you can mm-hmm. plant uh, yeah. apples and pears and plums, and and those need about five five years before they're starting uh, to bear bear fruit. Three, three to five years. Three it depends on the the variety and the type
3: that you're growing yeah tree folks just had their one of their annual sales this past weekend when they were selling a lot of trees and including fruit trees mm-hmm.
1: so I know Green Corn does a lot of um, planting workshops as well. If anybody's interested in that, do
3: you mm-hmm. all work much with Green Corn? You know, we don't we don't necessarily work a lot collaboration wise, but we definitely are good friends with, mm-hmm. with the folks at Green Corn, and I think in the going forward, we do want to collaborate more to not not duplicate efforts. You know, when they're doing right. a gardening, gardening workshop a and we're gardens. doing a gardening workshop, kind of combine and, and do we that. Do work a lot with schools as well.
1: When you mentioned that you were working with mm-hmm. schools, I was like, oh, yeah.
3: yeah. Yeah, That's
1: good. Yeah. So I've um, got about five minutes left. Um, I wanted to ask, is there is there such a thing as
3: sustainable agriculture for corn? You know, I'm really glad you asked me that question. Everyone hates corn. You know, and corn's gotten a really bad rap. And, <laughs> and believe me, I'm probably American corn. I'm not. You know, too gung-ho about, and it's more the system behind it. But it's really interesting because if you look at a culture, I mean, every culture around the world has some sort of, of crop that, that its culture is based on. Um, so if we just look, you know, drive a couple miles to the South and we hit the border of Mexico and, and really the Southwest as well, but, but corn is was you know was a major staple exactly and and the mexican diet is based on corn and they've been growing corn for the millennia um for centuries um but the secret is that they've used very different types of corn Mm -hmm. you know corn that's made for valleys corn that's made for um, drought tolerant areas um large kernels small kernels high elevations low elevations brown corn green corn um Red corn, corn for tortillas, corn to eat—you know, plain like an elote—and um, then once they once they produce it um, and then harvest it, it's actually kept as a as a whole grain. And it's interesting because just north here in the United States, we've become more of a corn-based diet, but very different. Um, we have corn-fed beef, we have high fructose corn syrup, and lots of different products. Um, we have very but but the of corn. Strains of corn that we grow. What's that? We have very little variety. Exactly, it mainly comes from a, a monoculture. Um, it's in, which needs huge amounts of pesticides and fertilizers that are that are derived from from oil, um, and it's highly processed. And we don't actually eat corn at the first level. It's usually at a secondary or tertiary level. Mm-hmm. So yes, it can be a sustainable product, but not the way that we're doing it.
2: Not <laughs> using so many chemicals, probably. No, and we need to have a variety and a diversity. Exactly, and diversity. diversity and, uh, yeah, different species. Uh, so that's how I it think that's really important. So, so long in Mexico. Is right, it's planted so many different.
3: Products. And even even going a little bit farther down the, the Americas, I've spent a lot of time in the Andean region, and the amount of potatoes they actually have like a potato institute in Peru, and they have hundreds of different varieties of potatoes because okay. different there's different microclimates. It's great and to preserve that biodiversity in
1: case you know something in case we have another potato famine kind of thing disaster that happens. Right, exactly. That's really great. Um, so we're just about out of time. So can I just ask you if the city of Austin could do one thing to sort of support local food systems? What should they be doing? Um, I think something that they're not already doing, in your opinion. Um, it's kind of vague, though.
3: So okay. Go with do it I have do I have to pick one? Um, no, <laughs> go ahead. I think I think one um, <laughs> identifying food as a, as a major player and as contributing to our carbon footprint. About thirty percent of all of the carbon emitted CO2 emitted is due to some sort of um, agricultural production, whether where it is along that line. I mean, it gets more complicated, but about 30 percent. So identifying food as a huge component of the of our carbon footprint as we look to go like a carbon neutral city. Um, something else we need to think about is is land use and setting aside land for either community gardens on parks, um, on parkland, and also creating um, a better relationship between rural, um, rural and urban populations. That's, that's a really great point. All right, so it's just about time to wrap up.
1: Thank you very, very much for coming, Joy. Thank you, Joy. We 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 really do appreciate it so much. Thank you. And um, if you'd like to give the name of your your website for the Sustainable Food System, or Center, sorry, so people
3: can go check it out. Yeah, um, sustainablefoodcenter.org, all one word. Okay, are
2: there any upcoming
3: events? Um, We do have a garden party this Saturday at El Jardin Alegre. Wow. Um, We have a cookie baking workshop coming up um, on December 8th. Um... There might be some other ones that I can't remember off the top of my head.
2: There's always the farmer's market,
3: and there's oh yes, and then there's the farmer's market oh, okay. every Wednesday and Saturday.
1: Mm-hmm. Great, well, thank you so much. Thank you. That wraps us up, and um, we'll c- come on back next week. Um, Dialectica is once a week at the same time slot. So, thank you all very much. You're listening to KVRX ninety one point seven. Thank you, and good night.
0: Dialectica has been brought to you by the students of the LBJ School of Public Affairs in partnership with the LBJ Journal of Public Affairs. Sources for our show can be found on our website, which can be accessed through kbrx.org. Any opinions offered on this show do not necessarily reflect the views of the LBJ School of Public Affairs, the University of Texas, or KBRX Student Radio. Thank you to our producers and our guests, and remember, you are listening to KBRX Austin.